So now what? What do we do now? The hustle and bustle of the Christmas season is behind us, unless you're still celebrating the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, Some people do that. If you are doing that, then today you should have received eight maids of milking. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with eight of them, but if you could spare one maid, we could use one. So if you got eight maids of milking today, please feel free to send one our way. But the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season is behind us. The tree is put away. Christmas decorations for most people are back in boxes in the garage. Starbucks is no longer playing Christmas music. You can't get a peppermint milkshake at Chick-fil-A anymore. And so what do we do now that Christmas is in our rearview mirror? Well, the Advent season continues because the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. With the Christmas season, we celebrate the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus, but we're also still looking forward to his final Advent, his final coming one day. And so, in a way, Advent still continues for us. And I was planning on starting our new preaching series today, but as I was meditating on two passages, one in Luke 12, one in Luke 22 last week, I decided to do one more sermon in our 3D Jesus series. So that means we're going to start our new preaching series on the ascension of Jesus next week. And then, Lord willing, after that, we will leave these two topical series behind and we'll jump into the book of Colossians because I'm ready to be in a book, working my way through a book. Sometimes you have to do topical sermons and that's fine, but it's not my preference. But we'll go to Colossians after our series on the ascension of Jesus. But today, I just wanted us to set our minds on Jesus as we begin a new year. I want us as a church to focus on the humility of Jesus and how he serves us with the hopes that we would be changed and focus on serving others in the new year. How would it look for us to become servants this year. I mean, dream with me for a second. What will your marriage look like if you focus on serving your spouse this year? I mean, go all out and serve them wholeheartedly, even when they bother you. I mean, this is the most important human relationship you have if you're married. Why not give it your all? Why would you not give it your all? Why would you not pour everything that you have into your marriage? Because this is the most important human relationship you have. Why not give it your all this year to your spouse? What will your family look like if you serve them this year? What will this church look like if we become servants like Jesus and simply serve one another and serve our city? So let's focus on being servants this year. That's what I want for us, serving people in your life, not to get anything out of it at all, but just simply to be a blessing to them. And if we do that, we'll actually end up being blessed because that's how it works. So let's be a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and serve others this year. I mean, let's make it our passion and make it your passion this year to say, you know what, I'm going to serve everyone in my life. I'm just going to be a servant. And here's why we should do that. Because Jesus was born to serve, 
But Christian, you were born again to serve. The incarnation of Jesus that we've been focused on the last month is all about him coming and serving us. As Jesus says in Luke twenty two twenty seven. But I am among you as the one who serves. I mean, that's incredible. It's unbelievable. It's flabbergasting. That verse, as I read it last week, just really rocked me. I just kept coming back to this. But I am among you as the one who serves. Those ten words that came out of Jesus' mouth are some of the most mind-blowing words that he ever uttered. He comes among us not to get, but to give, to serve, because he is a giver. He's not a grabber. He's not a taker. He gives. The word was made flesh in order to serve sinners like us. The word was made flesh in order to be the one among us who serves. And if you have been born again, then that calling lands on you now. If you're united to Christ, you were born again to serve others. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I mentioned this verse last week. In, in, I mentioned this verse in last week's sermon. I think I said it was in John's gospel. It was in Luke's gospel. Um, it wasn't in my manuscript, but I thought more about it this week. It's quite shocking what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 12. So turn there. What we'll see is that Jesus was not only born to serve, he was also resurrected to serve. Forever, forever, Jesus will utter those 10 words from Luke 22, but I am among you as the one who serves. For eternity, Jesus will serve us on the new earth. I mean, that's incredible. Not because we're special, but because he has chosen to dole out his affection and love on people like us. Not to get anything out of it. He serves simply to give for our benefit. Now, let me show you where I'm getting that. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 37 and hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. It's astonishing. Jesus is telling us that when he returns, when he comes at his final advent, he will dress up like a waiter and serve us. That's how Jesus returns dressed like a waiter with a little towel draped over his forearm and coming holding a covered plate with a domed lid that he takes off to serve us some gourmet meal. For eternity, Jesus will be the host and the server. He'll seat us at the table, take our orders, and serve us. We talked about this last week. We'll be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, just enjoying one another, celebrating Jesus' victory over death, sin, and Satan. And we'll notice, or I will notice, my sweet tea is low, and there'll be a hand that reaches over my shoulder and refills my sweet tea. And I'll look up, and it will be Jesus himself going around serving us because that's who he is. Right about now, you should be thinking, would someone please pinch me? Am I dreaming? Jesus will serve his bride forever. Is this real? It is real. Jesus says so. 
commenting on this verse, R.C. Sproul said, when the king comes, the king will serve his faithful people. Unbelievable. King Jesus will serve us. It should be the other way around, shouldn't it? We should be the ones serving God. But not in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, he serves his people. Now, of course, we do serve God. You know what I mean. But this highlights who he is. This grand, infinite, majestic God comes not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In God's kingdom, the king serves his people. In other kingdoms, the king sits back and gets waited on and has all his needs met by others. And he just sits there and someone picks grapes and puts them into the king's mouth because he doesn't even have to pick grapes. He gets fed grapes, but not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, he serves his people. And since Jesus is a God of no needs, he gets up from his throne, he takes off his crown, takes off his robe, sets down his staff, and he puts on an apron the apron of a slave, the apron of a servant. Of course, this is exactly what Jesus did in John's gospel. Let me read John 13, 3 through 5 to you. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so Peter obviously took this moment to heart because Peter tells us to do the same things in 1 Peter 5.5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The imagery that Peter has in mind here is what we just read in John 13. The word that he uses for clothe yourselves has to do with tying on a garment probably a servant's garment, a slave's garment. And Peter witnessed Jesus himself do this to him in John 13 when he washed their feet. Jesus removed his outer garment and then he put on the servant's towel, the the servant's apron. And that's what Peter wants for the churches that he's writing to. He wants everyone in the church to be so moved by the gospel, what Jesus has done for them, that they humble themselves. He wants them to essentially put on the apron of a slave to clothe themselves with humility. And what reason does Peter give in verse 5 for why we should clothe ourselves with humility? One reason is because God opposes the proud. Why does God hate pride so much? John Stott said, Pride is more than the first of the seven deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. The essence of sin is believing that you don't need God. Pride says, I don't need a Savior. I can meet God's holy standard all on my own. And that's why God resists the proud. It's unreasonable, as John Calvin says. Since then, the Son of God descended from so great a height. How unreasonable that we, who are nothing, should be lifted up with pride. Jesus descended from so great a height in the incarnation to serve us. Why? Because he's drawn to sinners. He's drawn to the humble, the down and out. Grace is drawn to humility. Grace is drawn to weak, needy sinners. Do you feel weak and needy today? I do, kind of. 
You ever feel just weak and just, you're tired? Just of the, not just physically tired, but like your soul is tired and you just, you need something? Grace is drawn to weak, needy, worn out, exhausted, tired sinners. Do you want to experience God's grace in your life? Then you have to humble yourself. Do you need God's grace? Then humble yourself. God is drawn. God, Jesus is attracted to humility, but he resists the proud. Humility brings God close. Humility brings Jesus close. If you want to experience the closeness of Jesus again, humble yourself. And all you can do is say, help. That's it. One word. You don't have to pray a lot. You don't have to say a lot because sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes it's like it's too painful to pray. Sometimes I just say, help. Like that, that's all I can get out, Jesus. And he understands. If we want to be a church full of servants in 2023, then we need God's grace because we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength, our own giftings, our own talents. We need grace. And how do you get grace? You humble yourself. You collapse at the feet of Jesus. As Jack Miller said, grace flows downhill. That's where you find grace, at the bottom as you stoop down and humble yourself. Do you feel like you're at the bottom? Like there's, you're just at the bottom. There's nowhere else to fall. You're a candidate for God's grace. You don't have to pull yourself up to get to the next level to experience his grace. His grace and his mercy and kindness comes to you when you hit rock bottom and have nowhere else to go. You don't have to do anything to try to lift yourself up. You just say, help. And his grace flows down. Jack Miller also said this, Will we welcome to our table only those who can welcome us back? Or will we be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful to us? Without the Spirit, this mercy would be impossible. But a new age has come. The Holy Spirit has entered the world, and He has the power to enable you to do these things. By His power, you keep on moving toward others with God's merciful kindness. Keep on moving toward others with God's merciful kindness. Jesus is in the business of building a church full of people who persevere in sharing God's mercy by treating the undeserving with compassion, tenderness, and forgiveness. And that's the kind of church I want us to be. A church that keeps moving out to others with God's merciful kindness. A church that perseveres in sharing God's mercy by treating the undeserving with compassion and tenderness and forgiveness. I mean... Wow, think about how things would change in our lives if we started treating the undeserving with compassion and tenderness and forgiveness. Think about how things would change in your home, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. If you started treating the undeserving, and you know who they are because you're thinking about them right now. If you started thinking about those people that you don't want to show mercy and kindness and grace to, what if you started showering them with compassion, showering them with tenderness, showering them with forgiveness. That's the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the world. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of freedom. It's the way of the kingdom. Jesus is showing us the upside-down way of the kingdom of God. Greatness in Jesus' kingdom is welcoming and serving the undeserving. 
We think greatness is tooting our horn, seeing our name in lights, receiving accolades, becoming an influencer on social media, which everybody wants to be today. We think that's greatness. If I get a blue check mark by my name and I have 1.1 million followers, then I've achieved greatness. Jesus says that greatness is humbly moving out in love to those who don't deserve it. It's humility. That's what we need more of in 2023. A church full of humble disciples who resemble their humble king and joyfully serve others. I mean, there's, there's no way to lose if we do this. We only win. There's absolutely no way to lose. Put me to the test. Serve everybody in your life, especially those who are undeserving, and come back to me in a month and tell me how you've lost out. There's no way to lose. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. You're following in his footsteps as a disciple. If you serve people in your life, there's absolutely no way you lose. Tim Keller says, if we were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. The truly gospel humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes. It just works. It does not draw attention to itself. The toes just work. The ego just works. Neither draws attention to itself. Isn't that good? Let's be a church whose egos are like toes. They just work. They're just there. How many of you thought of your toes this morning? probably didn't, did you? But they're working. Not drawing attention to themselves, just doing what they do. True gospel humility is not needing to think about myself all the time, not needing to connect things with myself, not needing to connect even ministry with myself, not making everything including ministry about me. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation, every everything with me. But we do this, don't we? We connect everything with us, right? If you're like me, you do that. You walk away and you're like, well, why did they say that? Maybe they're thinking this, maybe that. Maybe they don't like me, maybe this. We start connecting all these experiences with us, don't we? We make it very personal. And then it changes how we think and view the world. We want to cultivate, continue to cultivate a a culture like this here at Grace, where we don't connect every experience with us where we are totally interested in other people, where we hold our preferences loosely, where humility grows and spreads and spreads. That's the kind of church culture which causes growth in true gospel-centered disciples. And so in order to do our tagline well, making disciple, making disciples, in order to do that well, we have to create and cultivate a church culture where humility is everywhere where humility is our knee-jerk reaction to everything that happens and everyone we encounter. I mean, imagine what kind of church culture that would be like, 
where we all hold our preferences loosely. Whoa. Where humility is common. Where we really care and we're really, really interested in other people. Who doesn't want to be in that kind of environment? That's what church is to be known for. Duh, right? <laughs> we just need a reminder of that. Wouldn't it be great to be like, I heard about grace. I heard you guys are just servants. So humble and so interested in the people that you talk to and you just serve. And I think that by God's grace, he has been over the last four or five years really been doing this in our hearts as the gospel has been changing us. We're seeing the spirit of God cultivate gospel humility here. What a great in church, what a great church environment to raise your kids in, right? Humility. Where the kids see the adults serving and they want to serve. And I think we have that here. Our little kids and up to teens serve in ministry here. Who doesn't want more of that? Who doesn't want more of that for their kids? Who hates humility? You know who hates humility? The devil does. It's like nails on a chalkboard to him. He does not want us to, to see us humble ourselves. He doesn't want that stuff spreading here. But it is spreading here because we're keeping Jesus at the front and center here at Grace. So understand this. Humility grows in a heart that is centered on Jesus. Humility grows and begins to spread in a heart that is focused on Jesus and who he is in John 13, who he is on the cross, who he is for eternity serving us. That's the environment where humility thrives and grows, a heart that is centered on the good news, a heart that is centered on Jesus. And so what the good news, the gospel, actually becomes this powerful assault on our pride. As Milton Vincent says, preaching the gospel to myself each day mounts a powerful assault against my pride and serves to establish humility in its place. Nothing suffocates my pride more than daily reminders regarding the glory of my God, the gravity of my sins, and the crucifixion of God's own Son in my place. Pride wilts in the atmosphere of the gospel. It's as we stay focused on Jesus and all that he has done for us, that we begin to see the needs of others. As we focus on who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, then we're free to go love and serve others because now we know I'm loved by God. I no longer have to perform for him, try to get him to like me, try to get him to love me. So it's like I'm freely accepted by God. I'm in his favor forever. So I don't have to try to earn that and spend my energy earning his love. I have it. So what do I do with my energy now? Now I'm free to go love and serve other people. I mean, if we had to like spend our energy and our time earning God's love, earning his favor, I would get why it's like I don't have time to serve you because I'm trying to win God's heart here. But if we're absolutely accepted by God and we're free and we're forgiven of our sins and we rest in his uh, perpetual favor and his unabated delight, that weight is lifted and that's the greatest weight of the world is what does God think about you? And if you have his heart and that weight is lifted, now what do I do with my energy and my time? I go love and serve other people the way that he has loved and served me. Our good works are not done for God now as if they earned his favor, as if he needed them. Our good works are now done for our neighbors. 
As Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. God doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need anything from you. He's a God of no needs. You need God. I need God. God doesn't need us. Your spouse needs your good works, your good deeds. Your kids need your good works. Your neighbors need your good works. Your coworkers need your good works. Jesus does it. He's good. He's like, I'm, I'm good. He's sufficient in and of himself. That's one of the attributes we looked at last year. It's weird to say last year. It still feels like last year. His aseity, he is from himself. He has no needs. He's sufficient in and of himself. That's why Jesus was born to serve. And Christian, you were born again to serve. The incarnation of Jesus is all about him serving us. The word was made flesh in order to serve sinners like us. And if you have been born again, then that calling now lands on you, Christian. You were born again to serve others. So God doesn't need your good works. But you know who does? Your neighbor. Your neighbor needs you to be so free in the gospel that you move out in love to serve them now. As Elise Fitzpatrick says, my identity is that right now I am more loved than I could ever dream. Justification by grace through faith frees me to take my eyes off how I'm doing and how you're doing and look to Jesus who will place neighbors before me who need to be loved today. When you focus on Jesus and you get your eyes off yourself, God will bring other people along your path for you to love on, for you to serve. When you have faith that Jesus paid it all and you don't have to try to earn God's love anymore, it frees you to go and love love and serve others. And so in 2023, God is going to bring people before you in your life in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, this church, in this city, God is already preparing people that he's going to bring across your path. And they need your good works. They need your good deeds. They need your love. They need your service. God has them ready. Are you ready? Faith in Jesus frees us to love and serve other people. And if faith in Jesus frees us to love others, then the million-dollar question is, where does faith come from? Where do we get faith? If faith and trust in Christ frees me to go and love and serve other people, then how do I get more faith? Where do I get faith? Answer, by hearing about Jesus. That's how you get faith. By hearing about Jesus and all that he's already done for us through his life, death, resurrection. As Paul says in Romans 10, 17, he actually tells us where faith comes from. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ, or that phrase, what he means is the gospel. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the gospel. The word of Christ, the good news, hearing it over and over and over again. Faith comes from hearing the gospel over and over again that Christ died for sinners. Faith comes from hearing that God has spoken, that Jesus paid it all. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ that it is finished. Faith comes from hearing about Jesus. 
So the word of Christ, the gospel, creates faith in us. That means if you want more faith, or if you want to be a more loving person, or if you want to go and serve other people in your life, Whatever it is you want to be, whatever it is you want to do as a disciple of Jesus, if you have that heart desire of, I want to be changed, I want to be transformed, I want to serve people, whatever it is that you want in your life more of, whatever it is that you want more of in the Christian life as a disciple, you need to spend time talking about the word of Christ or the gospel. You need to be reading books that talk about the good news listening to songs, listening to sermons, having conversations with other people that talk about the gospel. If you want more faith in your life, more love in your life for your spouse, more love for a neighbor, your kids, coworkers, more desire to serve other people, whatever it is that you want and need more of in the Christian life, you have to spend time thinking about, reading about, hearing the word of Christ, the gospel. If you want transformation, you have to keep hearing the gospel over and over again. And that's why we keep rehearsing the gospel here at Grace. We're a broken record. I get that. Okay? The gospel is the fuel that changes us. God's made it, God has lowered the bar for us. You understand that? It could be really big and you got to do all these things to experience transformation, have your heart changed, your life changed. God's like, you know, I set the bar so low. Little tiny children can understand Christ crucified. That's it. It's not understanding the difference between infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism. Go look those up and you'll be glad that God did not set that bar that high. He lowered the bar so low that the smallest and the littlest among us can understand it, that God loves me and sent Jesus to die for me. That's why we keep rehearsing the gospel here. Because it is the fuel for obedience, the fuel for transformation, the fuel for serving other people. It's the fuel that ignites our hearts and gives us more faith and trust. That's why our sermons are always about Jesus and not what we must do for him. Because it's the word of Christ, the gospel, that creates faith, creates that trust, that then empowers us to go live for him. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5, 6 that what matters most is when our faith in Jesus finds expression. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, what would you say? The only thing that counts in the Christian life. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts in the Christian life, the only thing that counts in a church, the only thing that counts as a disciple is your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you Finding expression in your life, love for God and love for others. The only thing that matters for this church in 2023 is that our faith and trust in Jesus will find expression in loving God and in loving our neighbors. Well, where am I in that? You're not. (laughs) You are. Because you're being fed by Jesus and you're so free in him. You're like, I can go love and serve other people because I have everything I need in him. Remember, how do you get faith? By hearing the word of Christ, the gospel. So hearing the gospel produces faith. And the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love for God and others. Hearing the gospel, that's it. This is 2023 for us. You got to start at the top, hearing the gospel. 
books, sermons, songs, conversations, classes, you fill in the blanks, hearing the gospel. We've got to hear the gospel over and over and over again in 2023 because that produces faith. And the only thing that matters is our faith and trust in Jesus expressing itself in our lives in love for God and love for other people. The gospel empowers you to express that. And those two things, loving God and loving other people, happen to be, according to Jesus, the two greatest commandments. Love God, love other people. The only thing that matters in your life in 2023 is your faith expressing itself in love to God and others. Now, you may want to get on a really cool Bible reading plan. I suggest that. You may want to exercise more. I really suggest that. Eat healthier. Do all those things, okay? But this has to be at the top of the list. For 2023, I'm going to hear the gospel as much as I can because it's going to create faith in me. And the only thing that matters is that faith that the gospel creates in me finds expression in love for God and love for others. So put that at the top of your list. Whatever you want to do is... I have to hear the gospel as much as I can. That's it. Remember, Jesus was born to serve. Christian, you were born again to serve. So let me ask you, who has God placed in your life that you can serve? Who has God placed in, who has God brought across your path recently? Or who have always been there? Spouse, kids, family member, neighbor? Where can you serve here at Grace? Are you serving anywhere in any way here at Grace? If not, ask around. Call the church office. Email us. We always need helpers in kids' ministry, Sunday school teachers, helpers, Awana on Wednesday nights, uh, people to help make coffee on Sunday mornings. You just kind of fill in the blank. Are you serving anywhere here at Grace at all? Here's what I want you to do as you begin the new year. Ask God to show you who you can serve, how you can serve, and where you can serve. Ask God today, this week, God, who can I serve this year? Who can I love? Who can I give up all my rights for? That person, Jesus, they're so undeserving. Okay. Ask God who you can serve. Ask Him, how can I serve them? How can I be a blessing to them? Where can I serve? Where can I serve at grace this year, Lord? Because the only thing that matters for you in 2023 is your faith expressing itself in love. Faith is simply accepting and believing that Jesus has been unconditionally kind to you. And you didn't deserve it. He's been unconditionally kind to you. And you don't deserve it. You're the undeserving. You may look at someone else and say, they're undeserving of my love and affection and service. They're undeserving. But you were undeserving of his love first and he loved you and now he says, you go love them like I loved you. But they're so undeserving, Jesus, and so am I. Faith is believing that he's been unconditionally kind to you, that his love is real, that you don't have to earn his love. So faith says, I'm not trying to bribe God anymore. I'm not trying to impress him because I can't. I just receive his love because he is as good as he says he is in his word. That's faith. And the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love for others. Loving others like God loves you. There's your plan for 2023. 
loving other people the way God loves you. And God loves you because he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you on a cross. And Jesus is here today at this table as we celebrate communion, remembering what he has done for us. Jesus is waiting for you at this table this morning where he will serve up grace. He's down here with an apron on, a little towel over his forearm, with a plate, with a domed lid, and he's, as you come to this table, he's ready to take it off and say, I have grace for you. You're undeserving, but I have grace for you. And he, as you come forward, he says to you, say, hello, my name is Jesus, and I'll be your server today. So come, be waited upon, be served by the humble king at this table today. Jack Miller, to quote him again, said, Throughout eternity, Christ will be giving himself to us so we might know the Father better and be filled with inexpressible joy. God will look us in the face and say, I love you. The Father will put his warm arms and heart around us. That's our God. That's his radiant love. And that's our inheritance forever. At this table today, God wraps his arms around you he, he looks you in the face. He takes your face in his hands and he just looks at you and he just says, I love you. I love you. That's the gospel. And when you hear that, it makes you want to go love and serve, serve other people. Listen, I don't care what you're feeling today. Um, if you feel unworthy, undeserving, and you think, I can't come to the table. You don't know my sin. You don't know what I've done. That's what the table's for. It's for broken sinners who come and say, Jesus, I need you. Here he's going to serve up his grace to give you strength to serve him, to give you strength to serve others. So, so come, repent, which is just collapsing in his arms. That's all repentance is, just collapsing in his arms and saying, Jesus, I'm weak, I need you. And he will meet you here at this table. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that... Um, you're so kind and caring and gracious to sinners. I'll be honest, sometimes I don't believe that. I, I believe it for other people, Jesus, and I preach it for other people, but there are so many times when I struggle to believe that about me, that you care for me. And so I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us when we've let our thoughts about you control who we think you are. Help us to let your word instruct us. So we ask you to forgive us and we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't have to try to crawl out of the hole that we're in. We thank you that you come down to us. All we have to say is help. And you dig down deep into the hole and you carry us in your arms out. Thank you that we don't have to do anything but just to come and say help. And so we, we're doing that today, Jesus. We're just saying, help us, please. Help us. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.